Welcome to Our Political Moment, the stories behind the structure. Each episode, we bring you stories from around Philadelphia that demonstrate how structural oppression is ingrained in our lives. I'm one of your hosts, Leah Devin Sorrentino. Affordable housing has always been an issue in the city, but in the past 15 years, more and more Philadelphians are being pushed out of neighborhoods and homes. To call the housing situation in Philadelphia anything but a crisis would be an understatement. Housing is more than just where we live. Our home is the benchmark of stability and shelter. The mental toll taken from fearing housing loss, or actually losing our home, runs deep and lasts for a lifetime. The storyteller for this episode, Stacey Moore, discusses her experience moving to Philadelphia in the 90s and how it led to her fight for affordable housing. My name is Stacey Moore, and I am co-chair of the board at Women's Community Revitalization Project. I have been a volunteer since 1997. I live in what I like to lovingly say is Northern Liberties, but before that it was North Philly with an F for those people who know. I am originally from Miami, Florida, uh, both I and my son. My son's name is Justin, and he is now 30. I didn't want to really put that out there, they put my age out, but anyway. <laughs> when we came up here, a friend said that they would help me out, but in the end, I didn't have any place else to go due to like money issues and resources, so I ended up being homeless. I was able to get into the Salvation Army Red Shield, which is a shelter on Broad and Fairmount. Actually, at that time, it, it was considered what they would call the Ritz-Carlton of shelters. Although I had my own issues because of my own judgments about shelters, because of my own judgments about people in shelters, I had never imagined in a million years that I would end up at a shelter. So I became very withdrawn and very depressed. But even with all of that, I had my own room, I had my own key. And what I've learned over the years is that a lot of people who end up in shelters don't have that privacy, which ends up in leading to fights and so forth. And I didn't have to go through at least those things, which I am grateful about. It was still very debilitating for me. I didn't even realize, even after leaving the shelter in 93, because I stayed for Ten and a half months until I was fast-tracked into the Housing Choice Voucher Program, which is known as Section 8, that depression stayed with me for years. I always tell people that homelessness comes with its own psychological issues. One of the things that I noticed is that for years, even after I moved into the house that I now still live in, I had boxes that I had not unpacked because you're always thinking that the rug's gonna be pulled out. You never know. You're thinking, oh my God, something could happen and I'll be homeless. So things that I didn't even need that still stayed in boxes, and I mean cardboard boxes, for years on end that I just hadn't touched or, <laughs> funny enough, looked through and repacked them in the same box because I just could not relinquish that box. That box held some type of security or was some good luck charm or something so that I wouldn't end up being homeless again. Being a part of the Section 8 program in my neighborhood, in my current neighborhood, is really a blessing. So it's 50% of that being a blessing and 50% of having the most awesomest landlord, I think, one of the most awesomest landlords in the world. So much shout outs to Kevin McGillicuddy. Hi, Kevin. Just a really great, unique person 
that I guess simply doesn't want to be a part of the displacement of people in neighborhoods. So in all honesty, if it wasn't for Section 8 and if it wasn't for Kevin, in that neighborhood, there's no um, affordable housing that's being built in that neighborhood. If anyone was to stand on my step and face any direction, you would be facing housing, new development that has gone up that at least starts in the $300,000. And I think I'm being generous with that number. It definitely goes up to half a million, and that's in any direction that I go in. What is not being developed in my neighborhood is truly affordable housing for working class folks, lower income, middle class folks. I look at homelessness from my lens, but my son looks at homelessness from his own lens. And it took me a while to understand that. I also am a card artist. So I had to create cards illustrating people's housing issues. And I chose to illustrate my son's housing story because he said what he noticed is that the elementary school that he used to go to, which was Kearney Elementary, he's a couple blocks down from our house, all of his friends, of course, used to live in a neighborhood and used to go to that school. But he noticed that they had started disappearing. So I created a card that showed a kid a child sitting on the steps, and then outlines of other children because children notice when their friends are no longer around them. But it never occurred to me. And so I thought that that was a very powerful story. And a lot of times people will say, oh, well, did the displacement really happen? And I'm here to tell you that displacement did happen in Northern Liberties where you have people who, families who were renters and they couldn't afford the rent and families who were homeowners and they could no longer afford the property taxes. The neighborhood was a bit more black and brown, and you still have black and brown families. In the neighborhood, those who, who are still there, they're definitely struggling to stay in their neighborhoods. One of their main issues, especially if they're homeowners, is the property tax issue. And if it's that they're renters, they're scared about whether or not they can still stay in the neighborhood. WCRP once was literally around the corner from my house. I felt lucky because WCRP was around the corner. I decided to walk in and say, what do you guys do? I was like, it couldn't be too bad. Women was in the title. And so they were like, oh, we build housing, affordable housing for women and their families. And I was like, get out. I was like, this, I felt like it was just put there just for me. Something else that I wanted to add about my experience with being homeless is that I didn't believe that I had a right to speak up about anything. When I joined WCRP and its executive director, Nora Lictash, they valued my voice in a way that I didn't. Like I couldn't see that value. They have always treated lived experienced people such as myself as partners and allies. Um, and that has stayed with me and it's one of the reasons why I continue to partner with WCRP all these many years later. Something very powerful in recognizing your own voice to speak to your own issues. Fast forward to today where I feel like it's kind of like they can't get rid of me and I can't get rid of them. It's been a wonderful learning experience as well, but I think that in all seriousness, reasons that I stay here with WCRP is A, when I came to WCRP, I learned that there was at least, I would say, 40,000 units of affordable housing that needed to be built. And maybe a couple years ago, we revisited that 
because I was thinking, you know, I'm getting up in old age. I could probably retire from volunteering. And it was like, well, now we need like 60 to 80,000 units of horrible housing. And I was like, wow, I still can't retire. There's still work to be done. That's pretty much why I'm still here, because there's still work to do. Hi, I'm your host, Sir Josea, and we just listened to Stacy Moore, board member at Women's Community Revitalization Project. Up next, we'll listen to Christy, who also works at the WCRP. Hi, my name is Christy Clark. I'm the organizing director at the Women's Community Revitalization Project. And for folks who don't know us, we develop affordable housing for low-income women and families and also engage in community organizing. Can you tell us a little bit of the current state of affordable housing in Philadelphia? Sure. The short answer to the state of affordable housing in Philadelphia is that there isn't enough of it. So we are really facing a pretty serious housing crisis in the city where affordable housing is out of reach for a majority of Philadelphians. So in our work, we do a lot of research that really backs up the lived experiences of folks who are directly impacted by the housing crisis. And there are a lot of things that we found out that probably will not be a surprise to folks from Philadelphia. And that is that over half of renters in our city pay way more than they can afford. For housing. When we look at what folks can afford, it's about 30% of their income on housing costs. So just to give people an example, if someone is at poverty level and a parent of two children and they're making about $20,000 a year, they can afford less than $500 a month on housing costs. And that's not just rent, it's all costs associated with housing. For folks who are on disability insurance and they make $8,000 a year, they can afford less than $200 a month on housing costs. And that's for folks who can afford $200 a month, that's about one in seven Philadelphians. So we're talking about a lot of people in our city who have a really serious need. We also see that housing costs are skyrocketing citywide and income is not keeping pace. So citywide, income's gone down 10% in about the last 15 years. But in parts of North Philly, the cost to buy a house has gone up 363%. 363%, which just blows my mind. And in parts of South Philly, it's gone up almost 300%, the cost to buy a house in that same time. And so we are just not seeing enough done at the city level, let alone the state or federal level, but particularly in Philly, not enough done at the city level to really address this crisis. Can you tell us, how did access to affordable housing in the city get to this current point? The city of Philadelphia, not unlike a lot of major cities, faced decades of disinvestment. And about 30 years ago, we started to see more investment happen in our city again. You know, white flight then turned into folks with wealth, mostly white folks, starting to move back into the city and development responding to that. And so really both at the developer level and at the city level, there has really been a drive around profit, figuring out how to make the most money off of, at the time, cheap land. And also the city just having this constant drive to increase the tax base. It's something that we need. We don't have a lot of money as a city, but it's been done at the expense of long time residents, low-income, working-class folks, mostly people of color in the city. Our politicians have been making choices that have been about driving development, not about keeping people in the communities they call home. To better address the housing crisis in the city, what are some solutions that are currently in place or on the table to be created? 
Something I'm really excited about that we work on at the Women's Community Revitalization Project is uh, we really recognize that we cannot do this work alone, that the problems that we're facing in North Philly or Germantown or Point Breeze are not unique. Uh, they are happening in each of these neighborhoods. And so we work in coalition with other organizations. So we are convener of and a member of the Philadelphia Coalition for Affordable Communities. It is 65 organizations around the city, and it's a really broad mix of community, disability, faith, labor, and urban agriculture groups that have been fighting around the two things we really need to stem displacement, which is money and land for affordable housing development. And so in this coalition, uh, we've been fighting together for years, both in this coalition and previous coalitions, to get more community control of land and to get more money for the types of development that low-income folks need. Right now, we're in a campaign to our Development Without Displacement campaign to try and get more money for our city's housing trust fund. The housing trust fund is the city's pot of money for affordable housing development and preservation. So it does four things. There's money for new construction of affordable rental housing. Housing. Uh, there is money for basic systems repair, so home repair programs. There's money for homelessness prevention, which includes things like emergency rent and utility assistance. And there is money for adaptive modifications to make homes accessible to folks with disabilities. So about half of it goes to new construction and half of it goes to preservation. Also, what's really amazing about our housing trust fund is that half of the money is guaranteed to low-income households. So our city makes decisions on uh, where they spend money based on it, what's called area median income. That's the federal government's way of saying what's the median income in this area. And the problem is they determine the area, not us. So our area is Philly and Collar counties of Philadelphia. So the area median income for a family of four is about $89,000 a year. But just within the city limits of Philadelphia, that same area median income is $39,000 a year for a family of four. So our city often uses these federal income guidelines that actually are dramatically different from the income that folks in Philadelphia have. And so what we like about our housing trust fund is that it focuses money on a significant portion of Philadelphians, folks who make about $25,000 a year or less. So we have about $11 million a year in our trust fund and other cities. Even Baltimore, a near neighbor, has $25 million in theirs. D.C. has $100 million. We just we don't have enough resources to meet the need. So when the state authorizing legislation got passed to create our city's housing trust fund, because Philadelphia can't do a lot without the state's permission to do it, we had to create a state law. And that state law indicated that there was only one funding source for our city's housing trust fund and that is deed recording fees. So our housing trust fund is solely funded right now on how many houses are bought and sold in the city. And so it's been as low as eight or nine million and as high as 13 or 14 million, but it's variable depending on home sale prices. So there are other things that the Coalition for Affordable Communities is working on. In the coalition, uh, in our campaign just before this one, we fought for the creation of the city's land bank. So this is supposed to be, a, and it is, a city agency that is supposed to consolidate the vacant land in our city. We have over 40,000 vacant parcels of 
of land in the city of Philadelphia, and it's owned by lots of different agencies. And so the process to figure out who gets that land and how you get it and what it's used for varies across agencies. And so it was making it really hard for folks who wanted to do affordable housing development or maintain a community garden or even have a side yard next to their house to figure out how they get control of that land. So we fought for the land bank. The legislation's incredibly strong and the implementation has been really slow. We, along with a lot of our partners in green space and urban farming, have really been working to hold the land bank accountable to do what they say they will do in legislation, which is ensure that land does not just go to the highest bidder, that it's not about who has wealth, that those folks don't just get to control all the land and the development decisions in our city, but that it really should be about having equitable development, that folks in the community have some control over what happens in their neighborhood. So those are two things that we're working on as a coalition. At WCRP, another thing that we work on, we developed a community land trust. And so this is where the community owns the land in a trust and then sells or rents the housing on that land to make sure that it's affordable forever. So it's a really exciting tool. We are the only housing-based community land trust in Philadelphia, and it's one of the only tools that I really know of that can actually stop displacement in neighborhoods because it guarantees affordability forever. How can people who are listening who are passionate about affordable housing get involved? I think first and foremost, people should join organizations. We really need to build organizations that care about and do work around affordable housing in our city. And I just want to take a moment to be clear about what I mean when I say affordable. Affordable housing, we really need to be thinking and talking about who is looking out for low-income and working-class people. And there are elected officials who call affordable housing housing that sells for $350,000 a year. So I think just making sure if you're looking for organizations, you're also asking the question of affordable to whom to really figure out if an organization's working towards affordability that really matters to you and to your neighborhood. So there are 65 organizations that are a part of the Coalition for Affordable Communities, as I mentioned, and we would love for any of those organizations to continue to grow and to grow their members, and you can find those organizations on our website. Also, I know that Reclaim Philadelphia has a housing task force. That's a specific um, organization that folks could join. At WCRP, we have an advocacy committee that works on our organizing campaigns that Stacy is a member of. Also, we just really encourage folks to reach out and call their council members. Council members have a lot of power over development in our city, and particularly power over who gets to develop on land in uh, the, the vacant land we were talking about in their neighborhoods. And so we encourage folks to reach out to their council members to talk about what the needs are in the neighborhood, how they're looking out to see what their council members are doing. If they're a voter, make sure they're telling their council members that they vote and hopefully will be voting in our upcoming municipal elections and that they really want their council members to be working for the people of Philadelphia and doing the kind of development that we really need. Thank you, Christy, so much for uh, talking with us today. We will have all the information that Christy highlighted on how to get involved with the WCRP and the Coalition for Affordable Communities on our site, reclaimphiladelphia.org. Thanks for listening to Our Political Moment. This show is produced by Reclaim Philadelphia. Our team includes Sergio Sea, Kelly Morton, and Leah Sorrentino. Special thanks to our storyteller, Stacey Moore, and interviewee, Christy Clark, from the Women's Community Revitalization Project. The music for this episode is by local artist Caleb Michael, and you can find the full track on our website. Make sure you're subscribing to Our Political Moment. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, or on our website. 
Let us know what you think of this show by heading to our website and commenting on this episode.